Welcome to this podcast from Wilkesboro Baptist Church, where we are on a mission to lead our neighbors and the nations to follow Jesus. Wadsworth Longfellow, Henry Wadsworth Longfellow is the poet who penned the words to that last song. Some of you may have seen the recent movie that kind of reflects on that story, how that particular song, I Heard the Bells on Christmas Day, came about. Longfellow lost a wife in childbirth uh, as an early or young married man. He, he had married again and had five children and then lost his second wife in a tragic fire accident. And he struggled. His faith struggled. His home struggled. His family struggled. In fact, uh, as a, his oldest son, teenage son, joined the Union Army during the Civil War... And that trouble that permeated his own soul, that grief and that difficulty that was going on in his family life, is part of what led him to reflect on those beautiful truths about peace and joy and hope during the Christmas season. I wonder, maybe we don't have the same level of grief, sadness, trouble in our homes. I wonder how you're doing in your home. How's your, how's your family doing? How are things in your relational lives? Some of you are thinking, well, ask me that in about two weeks. I'll tell you. Because some of you over the next several days are going to have family in. And it's going to be great. Or maybe maybe it'd be wonderful. And then some of you are going to have some folks that you're going to have to be around and spend time with. That you see once a year. And that's why. Right? I mean, not everything goes quite as smoothly as you'd like it to with family. Well, Jesus came to troubled people to bring about a family. Do you realize that? Hebrews chapter 3 tells us that one of the reasons Jesus came at Christmas is to make us his family. Read with me, if you will, a few short verses from Hebrews chapter 3. I'm going to look at three reasons why Jesus came at Christmas and what he came to do. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all of God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful in all, in, over God's house as a son. And we are his house if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting and hope. Three reasons Jesus came. The first reason is this. Jesus came on a mission to build a family. That's why Jesus came. He came to bring us into his family. Now, when we read in this Greek text, or this Hebrew, this English text, the Greek, original Greek word for household, we see it as house, read in the text as house. The original Greek is oikos, and it carries with it the idea more of a household than it does a dwelling place. So when we read this, don't read it and think, okay, Jesus came to build a dwelling or a structure for his house to live, for his people to live in. No, Jesus came to build a family. He came to build a household. He came to bring everyone in who would call him Lord and who would trust in him and who would follow him. Jesus came to bring a family. And we know he came because he was the sent one of God. Holy brothers, 
He uses familial language there. Holy, those who were made right with God. We're not holy in and of ourselves, but we are his family. Adelphoi is the Greek word, and it carries with it the idea more than just of brothers, males. It carries with it the idea of all those who would believe in him. So men and women, boys and girls, all those who would believe in him are his family, who share in a heavenly calling, were to consider Jesus. He came as the apostle and high priest of our confession. The word apostle is more typically used in the New Testament of those disciples that Jesus called and sent out. But it's used in this instance of Jesus himself because he is the sent one of God. He is the one who came and his primary purpose in coming was to be our high priest, our substitute, the one who would take our place and bring us, bring salvation about in our lives. Jesus came and in some ways we could say he came on a mission trip. Some of you have been on mission trips. You've been overseas I've been as far as Africa on mission trips, and mission trips are some of the most wonderful moments I've had as a follower of Jesus, going to another place, another people, to tell the good news of Christ, to do a construction project, to hold a VBS, to preach revival meetings, teach classes, wonderful things. Some of you have been on some of those mission trips. They're wonderful. They're challenging. They're difficult because you're going from one place to another, one culture to another, one language to another in many cases. But as far as we've traveled on a mission trip, no one has traveled further than Jesus traveled. Jesus came from one dimension to another dimension. He came from heaven to earth and he came for the express purpose of being our high priest, of bringing us into a family, into a relationship with himself. Jesus came on a mission to bring us into his family, to to create a family that would be in relationship with him forever. Second reason Jesus came, Jesus came to be greater Greater than our heroes, also greater than the shameful things in our past. Notice what it says next, verse 2. Jesus is the one who is faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses was also faithful in all God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, much more glory as the builder of a house, has more glory or more honor than the house itself. In context, part of what's going on is that the people that the writer is addressing are Jewish background Christians. So they're people who came to faith in Christ out of a Hebrew worldview and a Hebrew religious system. And if he's writing to a group of people like most scholars think who were living in Rome at the time, the Christians were being persecuted in Rome. They were being targeted. They were being affected directly. But the Jews were being left alone. And so there was a great temptation for the people that are reading this letter to return back to their old patterns of religion and their old patterns of worship and and turn from Christ. In other words, they had received Christ, but they're tempted to turn back because they wouldn't face physical direct persecution if they were functioning as Jews. And who is the great hero of the Jewish worldview? It's Moses, none other than Moses. I, I, I mean, think about Moses. He is the patriarch of patriarchs. He spoke to God directly. God appeared to him in the burning bush, right? That that wonderful story. And and then God used Moses to rescue and redeem the people of Israel out of Egypt. He is the, the leader of their rescue, leading thousands, hundreds of thousands, if not millions of Israelites out of Egypt. He went up on a mountain. God spoke to him on a mountain, gave him the law. 
that he would write down the Ten Commandments came from the voice of Moses, from God to Moses, to the people. First five books of the Bible are written by Moses. He functions as a priest. He functions as a prophet. He functions in many different ways as a leader of the people of Israel. But the Bible tells us here in Hebrews 3, Moses, as great as he was, and he's a hero, right? An Old Testament hero. As great as he was, he's just a servant in God's house. He's not the son of God's house. He's not the one who deserves all the glory and honor. The, the description here, the argument that the writer uses says that the builder of a house is worthy of more honor than the person who serves the house or, or the person or even the house itself. Moses was a servant functioning to encourage and bless God's people, but he wasn't the one who originally orchestrated God's people. And, and the writer's telling the, the Christians there He's saying, listen, we're to worship Jesus because he is worthy of far more honor and glory than Moses is. Uh, Building something means that the person who built it is worthy of honor. Uh, My wife's told me a story many years ago about how when she was a little girl, uh, she and her sister loved Barbie dolls. And her mom and dad decided to get them this massive Barbie doll house for Christmas. And they decided the night before Christmas to put that house together. Well, this house had all kind of intricacies. It had clothes and drapes and it had little plates and tables and chairs and the whole thing. And they started putting it together, I don't know, 10, 11 o'clock at night. They finished putting it together at 4 a.m. in the morning. My wife and her sister, two years older, decided to wake up her mom and dad at 5 o'clock. On Christmas morning, they got an hour of sleep before they went in and saw this wonderful Barbie doll house that had been put together and built for them. And of course, you know, that, that's a wonderful memory and a wonderful moment. But you know, we don't celebrate that Barbie doll house. My wife doesn't have that Barbie doll house anymore. But she does have that memory of her mom and dad staying up all night long to build it. They're the ones who are recipients of the honor. And that's the picture, a uh, small way of, uh, of giving an analogy for the picture of what God did to bring about his house in our lives. Moses is a servant. He's a worthy servant. He is someone to be acknowledged for his role in bringing about the rescue of the Old Testament Hebrews. But he is not the focus He points to the one who is the focus. God is the one who rescued his people. And what the writer is telling us is Jesus is greater. He's greater than the angels. He's greater than humans. He's greater than Moses in chapter 3. We're going to learn as we continue to work through the book of Hebrews, Jesus continues to be greater. He's greater than the priesthood. He's greater than the law. He's greater than the old covenant. He is greater. He is the one to be worshipped. Jesus came to reveal to us that he is greater than our heroes. The readers would have read That is Moses. He's greater than Moses. You realize he's greater than your heroes too? I know some people who really struggle with faith because they realize they don't live up to the faith of someone in their past. Some of you have that. You have a grandmother or grandfather. You have a mom or a dad. You have someone who tremendously encouraged your faith. And you're sitting here thinking, I'm never going to measure up to that person's faith. I'm not going to measure up to their, to their generosity. I'm not going to measure up to the way they live their lives. You realize that, that Jesus came to be greater than those heroes? 
It's wonderful that we have those that built faith in us. I just want to tell you something. Jesus is inviting you to be a part of a family where he is the one that is venerated. He is the one that's lifted up, not those heroes of our past. He's also greater than the shameful things that we've done. I've talked to people over the years who, who they don't have a problem believing what the Bible says about Jesus, but they won't come to faith in Christ because they believe they're too far gone for Christ to redeem and rescue. You realize that? I, I, there might be someone here today who the reason you have not followed Jesus yet is you don't believe that God can cleanse you of that thing in your past. I just want to remind you who Moses was. This one that was testified in the Bible as a faithful servant of all God's house. Did you realize Moses was a murderer? Way back before he led the people of Israel out of Egypt, he had his own ideas about how he might bring about the rescue of his people. And he watched an Egyptian taskmaster beating a fellow Hebrew. And he went out and murdered the man. Buried them in the sand. And the reason he ran away from Pharaoh for 40 years and spent those 40 years in the wilderness is because he murdered someone. On top of that, Moses had an anger problem. The Bible says he is the meekest man in, in, all, in, in the testimony of Scripture. He's truly meek, gloriously meek, but he was a meek man with an anger problem. You remember later on as he was leading the people of Israel in the wilderness? Now, I'm just going to make a confession. If I had to lead people in the wilderness for 40 years people who complained, and I was living in a tent, didn't have a, uh, my own house to live in, I might get a little irritated too. Don't laugh at me, because you would as well. <laughs> Moses leading them for years and years and years in the wilderness, and they got to a place where time after time, something wouldn't work out right, and guess what the people would do? They'd complain about it. Again, don't, you know, don't fuss too much about the people of Israel we complain about all kind of little stuff that doesn't matter either. The people of Israel were complaining they didn't have enough water. And God had rescued them and provided water over and over and over again in, the, in their journey out of Egypt. He had taken care of their needs, given them quail, given them manna. Anyway, they get to this place where they complained about a lack of water. Moses got mad. God told Moses, Moses, speak to the rock and the rock will bring forth water. What an opportunity for a miracle. But Moses was angry. He was mad. His temper got the best of him. Can anybody in here relate? He took that staff that God had used to do all those miracles and instead of speaking to the rock, he hit the rock. Water came out, God provided for his people, but Moses had an anger problem. Let me just say something about this. If God can forgive a murderer and a man with a temper problem and call him a great servant in his household, there's nothing in your past that God can't forgive. Jesus did not come to rescue perfect people for his family. He came to rescue sinners. He came to rescue the broken. He came to rescue the hurting. He came to invite those who are unrighteous to be a part of his family. And the third reason Jesus came, Jesus came specifically to invite us to be a part of his family, to welcome us in to ask us to join him in a relationship with him. Notice what it says. But Christ, verse 6, is faithful over God's house as a son. The distinction is Moses served God's purpose for his people. Jesus is the rightful ruler of the house. He's the son. He inherited all that his father has, and he's the one who gets to invite people to be a part of his house. 
How many of you have ever been invited to a Christmas party? And you invited somebody else to join you at that Christmas party? Some of you have hosted Christmas parties before. And you've invited a family or a friend. And then you've, somebody else has turned up. You're like, well, I didn't invite them, but they just showed up. It's a little bit rude. That's rude in the South, right? You don't go to someone's house without an invitation for a Christmas party. Am I right? You don't get that? Shame on you if you're one of those that's crashed a party like that. Let me tell you something about Jesus, though. He's the one who says you can come to be a part of his family. Right? He's the son. It's his family. It's his invitation. I want to tell you what he does. He invites us to be a part of his family so that we will have a place to belong. Some of us have been in situations in our past where we don't feel like we fit in. Some of you have been in a place of employment where you don't really fit in with your fellow co-workers. They're different than you, different values, maybe different morals or different ethics. And, and you just realize that you don't have a place at this place. It's hard. Some of you have felt that way about your family. You don't really feel like you fit in with your family. They're different than you. Their values are different than you. And, and every, every year, a couple times a year, you get together and you realize when you gather with them, there's a reason you don't get with together with them more than a time or two a year because you just don't fit in. You don't feel like you belong. Folks, I've talked to people at churches over the years that don't feel like they fit in at a church. It's a shame. God's people ought to be the most welcoming, open people in all the world. I don't mean that we lose our values. I don't mean that we, we ignore Scripture to just invite anybody to be a member who wants to be a member in the sense of there are no rules, there are no standards, there are no biblical framework. I don't mean that. But I mean we as God's people ought to be a place where anybody who would walk in the doors of this church to celebrate and worship with us, anybody who would come in by way of Jesus ought to be welcome because it's not... Our house to protect, it's his house to protect. It's not our invitation. It's his invitation. I'll tell you, and what Jesus does is he says to us, he invites us to find a place to belong, and that place is in him. Jesus wants you to know, no matter what's happened in your past, no matter what you bring into this space, no matter the circumstances that have happened to you or that you have done, if you come through Jesus, you have a place to belong. In him, through him, in a relationship with him, and you don't have to fear being ignored, being rejected, being isolated, but you can belong in a family Jesus. What a beautiful invitation that Jesus gives. And it all happens because Jesus came at Christmas to offer us the opportunity of belonging in his family. Let me give you three specific applications that flow out of our text of scripture that help us this time of year as we reflect on these truths of why Jesus came. The first one is simply this. How do you become a part of Jesus' family? You believe in the Lord Jesus. Listen, the entry point into God's family is not perfection, at least not your own perfection. It's faith in Christ. The text says that those who are part of God's family are holy brothers. Let me tell you something, folks. You do not enter into a relationship with God based on your own goodness and your own deeds and your own righteousness. You're not good enough on your own to be called holy. 
You're not. I'm not. The entry point is that Jesus, he's the great apostle and what high priest of our faith. He's the one who took our place. He's the one who stands in between us and God. He mediates between us and God. He is the representative. He is the priest. We need him in order to be a part of the family of God. So how do you get entry into the family of God? You put your faith and trust in Jesus alone as your Lord and Savior. And if you're here today and you do not have a place that you belong, you don't have, you're not a part of the family of God, you've not experienced forgiveness and eternal life, I would beg of you, let today be the day you believe on the Lord Jesus and receive eternal life. And you can join the family of God. You can be a part of a people where you belong. You may not feel like you belong anywhere else, but I promise you, you belong with God. Believe on the Lord Jesus. Christian, let me speak to you for just a moment. Here's the second application. I want you to consider the Lord Jesus. In verse 1, it tells us that we, we're the holy brothers, we're the church, reading these words, hearing these words. And the text tells us that we're to consider Jesus. That means we're to concentrate on him. We're to put our thoughts on him. We're to dwell on him. We're to imagine what it's like to be in relationship with him. We're to consider the Lord Jesus. A lot of us are really, really busy. A lot of things going on in life. We're going to talk next week about rest and Christmas and make some reflections on that idea. But some of us are, quite frankly, too busy with too many things. We've got stuff going on all the time. And I don't, I don't mean so much your life, although that could be it. It could be work-related. It could be family-related. It could be hosting-related. It could be all sorts of other things. What I mean more than that is this. Our minds are always going... They're always on something. Some of you are guilty of that right now. You're thinking, how long is he going to preach? We had extra music. I'm almost done. I do promise you that. Only about five more minutes, max. But some of you are thinking about what's for lunch. Some of you are thinking about a family member. Some of you are thinking about what you got to do this week. How are you going to get it all done? That's that's typical for us in a busy life. Here's what I want to ask you to do, Christian. Find time today and this week to pause and just concentrate on Jesus. Nothing else. Don't do anything else. Don't be doing anything else. Maybe you want to open your copy of Scripture and read what the Bible says about Jesus from the book of Hebrews or the book of John. Plenty of other places that you can just open it up and read about what the Bible says about Jesus and think about Jesus. Let me say this. There's no thought you could ever think that is more important than the thoughts you think about Jesus. And those thoughts are not wasted. Let me make a comparison. Many of the frustrations and frets and activities and anxieties that demand so much of our time and attention are not worth us worrying about them and fretting over them and thinking of them. They're just not. You know how I know that to be true? Because you're here after so many years of life. And you've spent a lot of time worrying and fretting over this and that and the other. And guess what? Most of your worries and what ifs didn't happen. You're here and it was okay. Let me tell you something. Any thought you think about Jesus, biblical thought, underneath the authority of God's word. Anytime you think about Jesus, it's not a wasted thought. It's a great thought. It's a good thought. It's why we spent so much time in the music this morning thinking about Jesus. So Christian, I would invite you to take some time today, this week, to pause and just consider 
Jesus. Third application comes from verse number six. It says that if we hold fast to our confession of faith, we're part of God's household. Now, in due course, we're going to spend some time dealing with the falling away text of the book of Hebrews. There are many questions that arise from those passages of Scripture. Many over the years have wondered, can you lose your salvation based on the way some of those texts are written? And we're going to spend some time dealing with that. But let me be as clear as I can with this particular application today. You and I are obligated to hold fast to Jesus. And at the, base, at the, at the very simplest, that means this. A faith that saves is a faith that stays. Meaning that if you and I have a faith in Jesus that is real and that, that, that changes us on the inside, it is a faith that remains a faith following Jesus. And so the writer of the book of Hebrews says this. He says, hold fast. He warns his readers. He said, don't fall away. Don't reject. Don't run away from Christ. There's a warning there because if we... If that's who we are, if we run away, if we fall away, if we drift away, it may not be a real genuine faith. That's the warning. So Christian, hold fast to Jesus. This season, hold on to Jesus. Don't let go of the faith that redeemed you. Don't let go of the Savior who changed your life. Hold on. I know sometimes it's tough. I've been at places and times in my life where I feel like my hands are slipping and, and I'm losing a grip on the faith that, that I've held. But hold on, because you may, you may just wake up one morning and realize that the one who's holding you is stronger than you. You may this Christmas season, like I did when I was a, a new dad, Sense that the Jesus that's holding on to me is like that infant Jesus. Some of you have little ones, little, little babies in the room. One of the most precious things that ever happened as a father is when those boys of mine, when they were little, would have those infant hands, they would just reach up and hold on to a finger. And and you know as a parent, as a grandparent, as an aunt or an uncle, man, when they're holding on to you like that, you're not about to let go and you're not about to let anything else happen to you. And sometimes we need that, that kind of emotional touch. Some of our music that way was, the, was that way this morning. It was, it's aimed at helping us have that emotional grasp of Jesus. And maybe we'll, we'll just think about Jesus holding on to us like he held on to Mary and Joseph as an infant. Sometimes you may think that you're about to lose grip because you're not strong enough. Can I tell you something? We're not strong enough to hold on to our own faith. For up to us, we would let go. We would lose our grip. I just want to remind you, Jesus was a carpenter. He was a man's man. If you held on to Jesus' hands when he was in his 30s, they would probably be rough, but they would, I promise you, be strong. Not only is Jesus a glorious human who, who was a carpenter and had strong hands, but he's the God of the universe. I promise you, if he's holding on, he's not letting go. Nobody's going to be able to pull you from his hand. That's what he testifies to in John chapter 10. So hold on. Because you may find out that Jesus' strong hands are not going to let you go. Hold on to Jesus because you may discover that the hand that's holding you is the hand that took the nail scars for your sins and for my sins. I promise you folks, if Jesus will go to a cross to redeem us and rescue us and make us a part of his family, he's not about to let go of you in the situation and the trouble and the circumstance 
that you're going through in your life today. He came to invite you to be a part of his family. He's not going to let you go. Hold on. Hold fast. If you're here today and you haven't put your faith and trust in Jesus, I would love nothing more than to tell you how you can trust Christ and become a part of his family. Maybe you're here and you just need to praise and thank God for holding on to you. Maybe you need to pause and just consider him. Whatever the Lord's leading you to do, I would invite you to respond at this invitation. Stand with me if you will. Father, we admit freely that it is our sin that caused you to send your son, our Lord Jesus Christ, to a cross to save us and redeem us. We also admit freely, God, that we don't deserve to be a part of your family. We're not perfect. We're not righteous. We're not holy. We're not good enough in and of ourselves. So we testify in gratitude to you this day for sending your son Jesus and for his invitation to us to be a part of your family because of what he did on the cross. Lord, I pray for any in the room who have yet to put their faith and trust in Christ. Will you use the truth of your gospel to move them closer to a faith relationship with you today? Will you bring them to a place of conviction and surrender where today they might trust you as their Lord and follow you? Father, will you encourage that isolated person in the room? Help them know, Heavenly Father, that there's a place they belong. And it's in your family and it's with your people. And God, hold on to us. Don't let us drift and waver. Don't let us float away. But Lord, help us hold fast to the faith we have in Jesus Christ, knowing that you're holding on to us. We pray this in Christ's name. You come. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Remember to like and subscribe wherever podcasts are found.